This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Father Richard Days talks about the joys, fruits, and benefits of nighttime adoration. Father Rich is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We are uh, welcoming in this afternoon Father Richard Days, who is uh, always with us during our Carathon, so nobody new to Divine Mercy Radio. He has served our country for 28 years as a military veterinarian before making his decision to serve uh, God as a priest. And he was ordained in 2010, served as the pastor of St. Mary's Church in Ellis, and is currently pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and School in Colby. So we, uh, again, appreciate Father Richard joining us. Now we're going to talk a little bit about perpetual Eucharistic adoration. So for people who may maybe be be tuning in or maybe you're not that familiar with perpetual Eucharistic adoration, Father. Tell us what that is. Well, perpetual adoration is a Eucharistic devotion where the members of a given parish or some other entity, it could be, for instance, the Capuchins out at uh, at Victoria, but uh, some group of people unite in taking hours of adoration before the most blessed sacrament. In most cases, it's exposed and uh, placed in a monstrance, and as my first grader said, what's that big gold thing that's got all the shoots coming off of it? <laughs> well, we have a what is called a luna, and a uh, Usually it's about a three-inch host is placed inside that luna, which is in glass, and then you place that inside the monstrance so that all of those gold shoots are actually pointing down towards the uh, the Blessed Sacrament. At uh, NCYC in uh, Indianapolis, when we go every two years, they have adoration, but they use a five-inch host. It's one of the largest monstrances I've ever seen. And uh, monstrances can be very small or they can be very large. And this one happened to be one of the largest I'd ever seen. But basically, then uh, the perpetual adoration is uh, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, so people usually would sign up for an hour, or they might sign up for two different hours, or whatever works for them. And they would uh, spend an hour with Jesus. And it's kind of like I was telling the uh, second graders who were getting ready for their first communion. If you don't receive communion, you really don't get to see Jesus except during the elevation, during the consecration. And if you happen to sneeze or blink, you missed it. So this is an opportunity where you can be eyeball to eyeball, so to speak, with Jesus for an hour and actually open your heart. You can do a lot of prayers, but, you know, it's good to kind of let God get a word in edgewise sometimes. So if you just sit there and meditate, uh, it's a good uh, opportunity as, as well. Um, I, I kind of liken that to I, I joke with people. I said sometimes I think we treat God like a vending machine. Oh, yeah. we, we put our prayment in yes. and expect, you know, expect something right away. And uh, we talk and but don't listen. So I think there's certainly a lot of truth to that. We're talking on uh, the joys, the struggles and the fruits of nighttime prayer in, in perpetual Eucharistic adoration. Our guest is Father Richard Days this afternoon. So why is Jesus exposed in a monstrance and not behind a tabernacle during Eucharistic adoration? Well, basically, again, so you can actually see and realize that this is part of our faith, that that host is not bread. It's the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is an opportunity, if you will, to be eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. Yes, you can go, and I do it often. I'll spend uh, some time meditating with 
the tabernacle, knowing that Christ is present there. There's also a possibility sometimes, uh, and especially in a small, either a small parish or even a chapel, where you could, they would just place the ciborium on the altar rather than a monstrance. If they didn't have a monstrance, they could just place the ciborium. And this, again, would be uh, good for adoration because you know that Jesus is present there. He's not hidden behind the tabernacle or anything. He's there for you to see and to talk to and worship. Okay, and, that, and that's something I guess I've never seen. I, I've, I've heard that that's, that's been done before, but I guess personally I've not experienced that. It's most people do have their most chapels do have a monstrance and they use it, but uh, you can use. And I've been a couple of places where they just place the tabernacle, uh, the uh, ciborium out there. A lot of times for Holy Thursday, where you move the ciborium with the consecrated host, the precious blood, body and blood of Jesus, to another place to show, and you leave the tabernacle open that He is no longer there, and you leave it open clear up until the vigil mass on the Holy Thursday. Uh, a lot of times if we have a little chapel set up somewhere, for instance, the basement of the church or something, we'll just set the ciborium there rather than, or sometimes we can bring the monsters down. But a lot of times if you place it before the tabernacle, the other tabernacle that you're going, either a side altar or even a small chapel it has, a lot of times you'll just set the ciborium there rather than to have any monsters set up. And you have adoration um, Sometimes it's only for an hour, sometimes it's till midnight or whatever, and then you repose the Blessed Sacrament. So, Well, very good. One of the things that—this um, is interesting. I did, I know, I'm trying to remember where I saw it because obviously we're, we're used to, I, you know, the monstrance is gold like you right. described it. I saw one, and it was almost like it was wooden. It was Mary— with the Blessed Sacrament, almost like the, the sacrament in her womb, was in her womb. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting, I guess you call it a monstrance. I, I, I don't would, know what else you would call it. I would think so because but, you're exposing the Blessed Sacrament. Sure, but uh, sure. I've never heard of that, but that would be a unique way of presenting it and uh, would probably leave, a, obviously it did, it left a lasting memory. So It did, and I, don't, I can't say I remember if I saw it somewhere or maybe just saw a picture of it somewhere, but okay. nonetheless it, it was it did make an impression. We're, we're blessed here, obviously, to have perpetual Eucharistic adoration. I know at home in our home parish we have it as well. Why establish perpetual Eucharistic adoration? Well, there are several reasons to establish. One, it's a good idea, and it's the right thing to do to establish where you can uh, offer worship and uh, adoration to our Lord under the uh, under the pretext of the uh, Eucharist. You mentioned that uh, they were blessed here in Hayes, and they are, because we have perpetual adoration here at the Immaculate Heart. But you need a fairly good-sized community to do 24-hour adoration. Um, Practically all of the parishes in our diocese have adoration. We have it, uh, in fact, we have adoration is going on right now out at Sacred Heart in Colby, and it's going on right now over in St. Mary's in uh, Ellis. But it's only for a short period of time. Uh, the reason you're able to do it here in Hayes is you have three parishes that kind of combine to offer that, and the other places are Salina and Manhattan, where you also have three parishes that can kind of combine, because you need uh, over 200 people in order to do this uh, correctly. Otherwise, you can uh, really strain the, uh, the effort on it. But smaller parishes have done this. Uh, 
Beardsley, a very small parish out near Atwood, were celebrating their 100th anniversary of their parish, and they did a perpetual adoration. I don't remember exactly how many hours. And uh, Angelus was celebrating their 100th anniversary also. In fact, there was a good article in the uh, register about Angelus. And once they got started, first of all, if you're going to do this, you need to get on, uh, get with your pastor and make sure it's okay with him. I didn't believe it at the, when I was going through the seminary, but I've worked harder as a pastor than I did as an Army commander, and I didn't think that was possible, but it is. They, there's a lot of demands on your time, and it seems like at all hours of the day or night. So get with your pastor about this when you want to set it up. So the ladies at, at Angelus went to Father Fonestil, and he thought it was a wonderful idea and told them to run with it, and they did. Now, you only have so many families, so they had different hours, and what they did was put a, a year of, for the 100 uh, hours, a different year for each year that Angelus was a parish. And people could go ahead and say, okay, I was born in this year, so I want this hour, or I was married in this year, so I want this hour. And they did have to double up a little bit. But they also contacted people who were living away from Angelus now, and several people drove distances to come and do, do their hour which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. But again, a small parish really can't do 24 hours, seven days a week. Uh, but practically all the parishes that I'm aware of do have perpetual adoration. Or not perpetual adoration, they do have adoration. Mm -hmm. And usually it's on a Thursday because Thursdays are dedicated to the, sacred, uh, to the Blessed Sacrament. So usually it's on a Thursday that they have their uh, adoration. Some of the different times I've had, I first, when I was, uh, and I'm telling my age now, before the Second Vatican Council, we used to have 40 hours, and that was adoration for 40 hours. And a lot of times we'd have a visiting priest, and it was kind of a mission, and people would come in at different times to make put their hour in. Uh, after the Second Vatican Council, I was, we still can have the 40 hours, but it's not quite as common as it was before the Second Vatican Council. When I was stationed up in Alaska in the late 70s, the pastor up there, Father Martin Fleming, who, by the way, was at my ordination, he's one of them that's kind of putting a feather in his hat that he got me to the uh, priesthood. <laughs> well, he tried to get me married to one of his nieces, but uh, the priesthood won Since out. Since that didn't work, he went to plan yes, B? Is that, was it, pretty was that much. the deal? <laughs> what he had was called nocturnal adoration, and it went from 10 at night to 6 in the morning, and I think it was on the first Friday, if I remember right. And he had three men at each hour. And the first month, if say if you were at 10 o'clock at night, then the next month you would be 11 to 12, and you rotated all the way through. The first uh, time that we did it, the first month we did it, Father Fleming was up all night long to make sure all three, the, each one of them got started. And we had certain prayers that we recited as a group. We had a leader, and then uh, the, the, and then after that, you could say whatever prayers you wanted. Mm -hmm. And it was a, an adoration. That's the only place I've ever been that had that, and it continued for years because I flew back from uh, from Europe several times. One, for, the main reason for, was for the Iditarod, but also I'd get there on a Friday night so I could go to the nocturnal adoration, and I'd put in an hour uh, doing that as well. At Fort Leavenworth, we also had it, and we'd start right after the Friday Mass, which is usually about 9 o'clock in the morning, and we'd go through until 6 the following morning. And I had from midnight to 1. Now, ideally, you have at least two people there, uh, but sometimes, and uh, as was the case, that was my hour, and I was the only one there. And you don't leave the Blessed Sacrament 
a loan. Right. You either repose it, and at that time, I didn't, I wasn't, uh, I was qualified, but I don't think I was authorized to repose it. So anyway, nobody showed up at two, or nobody showed up at one. I was midnight to one. So I put in an extra hour. Nobody showed up at two. So now we're getting straining our prayers a little bit. And then from three to four, my only prayer was, Lord, help me stay awake. (laughs) And finally, somebody came at four o'clock. Well, the two guys that were supposed to come in between apologized the next day. They'd forgotten all about it. So, But you don't leave the Blessed Sacrament exposed by itself. Now, uh, the second time I was at Fort Leavenworth, uh, I was a Eucharistic minister, and I would take usually the 11 to midnight, and we repose it at midnight, and I would usually repose the Blessed Sacrament. So, But basically, I had my own little set of um, prayers that I'd have. I had my uh, Father Stegman prayer book that I'd go through all the different prayers in it, and I'd say a rosary, usually just one, dec- uh, one set of mysteries. However, the night that I was there by myself, we went through all the mysteries before I got done. So, but you got you kind of determine what you want. But there's also you can just sit and listen and meditate and let God talk to you, and that's kind of the idea. Most of the time, we're praying so hard we don't let God get a word in edgewise. Mm-hmm. There was also one of the questions that you folks sent me about what happens if I fall asleep. Well, I remember I was very blessed, and when I was at K-State, Father Archbishop Fulton Sheen came and talked to the, at, the, uh, at the campus. Now, he, I, I'm going to interrupt you. I thought you were going to say you were in perpetual adoration falling and fell asleep, and Archbishop Fulton Sheen, or Bishop Sheen, came in, but that's not where you were not going. Not quite where okay. I was going, okay. but he was telling a story <laughs> because he kept an a hour of adoration every day. Including if the, he stopped somewhere and the church was locked, he would stand outside and put in his hour of adoration for the Blessed Sacrament. Mm. The story goes that he heard about uh, during the communist takeover of China, they desecrated a church and locked the priest up, and they just splattered the whole ciborium of hosts across the floor. Well, the priest was watching, and they placed a guard to make sure he didn't get out. But he watched, and a young Chinese girl, about 11-year-old, came in, and she spent an hour praying, and then she got down on her hands and knees and picked up one of the hosts with her tongue. She did that every night, and there was about 30 or 32 hosts. On her last night, the guard caught her and killed her. And Bishop yeah. Archbishop Seen said if that little girl uh, believed enough to put in an hour with a, a desecrated host, he thought he could put in an hour. In fact, when he retired, he had a two-bedroom apartment, and one of those apartments was a, a little chapel, and he would put in an hour of adoration. But he was telling about he was flying somewhere, and there was a church right across the road from the airport. So he went in to put in his hour, and traveling, he was getting a lot of jet lag, and he had about two hours before his next flight. Well, he fell asleep. And in exactly one hour, he woke up, and he said, I guess God knew I needed the rest. Mm. So I thought, if he can sleep for an, uh, during his adoration, I think it's probably okay for the rest of us. But <laughs> right. we should try and – because a lot of times, for instance, when did uh, God send messages to St. Joseph? When he was asleep, sleep. he sent an angel to talk to him. So if we're open to it, even being asleep, we're open to our Lord's uh, talking to us. So – uh, that's a great story, I, I, and it seemed like I just heard that the story of the the girl 
it was a Chinese girl, yes. right, and picking up the host. And um, what an incredible story! And and so we are so blessed to have have the uh, have adoration, and even even if it's not uh, twenty four hour, right. just any time that we can, we have the opportunity to adore. Now let's talk a little bit, Father Richard, because we do an adoration hour every week, and we're blessed to be able to do that. But I can remember uh, just starting and considering maybe subbing for adoration, and I thought, wow, what am I going to do for a whole hour? And talk to us about that, if you would. Well, like I said, there are different things you could do. For instance, when I was at the seminary, we had adoration for two hours on a Tuesday night because Thursday was our day off, so a lot of the seminarians weren't there. But the first hour, we would start out, uh, the deacon of the day would come in and expose the Blessed Sacrament, and we would say a rosary together. And then after that, you could kind of have your own prayer. And it worked out very well. I shouldn't admit this, but uh, Tuesday night is when NCIS is on. And so we would start at 7. Well, at <laughs> Eastern time, it didn't come on till 8. So I would put in my hour of adoration, watch NCIS, and then still get down for the reposing of the Blessed Sacrament. So it worked out quite well for me. But that was one thing that we did. We would, we would say a rosary. Another thing you can do is uh, if you have the Liturgy of the Hours, you can recite the Liturgy of the Hours or pray the Liturgy of the Hours while you're in adoration. And some people actually put it, say, at noon, so they would do the midday prayer and then go on in and, and finish that up. And then you can do a rosary. You can, um, you know, like I said, I had my little prayer book, and I went through all those prayers. I said my rosary and different things. And it pretty well filled the hour. And to the point that after a while, it's not a struggle. It's something you kind of look forward to. Uh, I've got this time set aside. I can get my praying done. But it also, if you just sit there and meditate or just sit there and let Jesus talk to you is a good thing also. At Sacred Heart and also at St. Mary's School, the teachers take the kids over. Now, they don't stay a full hour, but they'll stay for about 15 minutes. And the kids, for the first week that they do it, that's forever. But after a while, they almost look forward to going over there for 15 minutes. So it, it it's something you develop as a right. as not just a habit, but as a practice of your faith. Yeah, and in fact, sometimes what I find now, there's times I look up at the clock because we do have the clock on the side of the room, and I don't, and it's like, okay, I have five minutes left. You know, it's amazing how fast the oh, hour can go, and um, an hour sometimes is probably not enough, and in reality isn't enough. So it is a great practice. It's a great opportunity for us to spend time with, with God in prayer. Now, parishes that have perpetual Eucharistic adoration have, uh, obviously, we talked a little bit this about this earlier with smaller parishes, but even parishes who have perpetual adoration sometimes have di- difficulty filling the nighttime hours. Why are nighttime or early morning hours a struggle for people? Well, mainly because most of us work during the day, and we need to rest at night. But if you get onto it, it's kind of like I took the uh, 11 to 12 or the midnight to 1 hour because, one, I was free at that time. And it worked out very well. Of course, I was only doing it that one hour a week. But a lot of people in where we had the nocturnal adoration up at Fort Richardson, Alaska, we would rotate our hour during the night. And so... Yeah, this month is uh, midnight to one. That wasn't too bad. But next month is one to two. Oh, good Lord, how am I going to do this? 
you get it done. It's amazing, especially where there was a group of you, or two or three of you that would come in. And, yeah, you'd yawn a little bit, but you'd get through your prayers and everything. And you felt so much rewarded for it. And if you, once you kind of get onto that and have you, that your routine, once that's my hour this week, you almost start to look forward to it. So. I would agree. The The thing is, um, we have a weekly hour, and it's always noon on Mondays. Well, that's good and bad, and I say bad. I shouldn't say that because – but we have a noon mass. So right. at 1230, I, the Adoration Chapel tends to kind of become Grand Central Station, right. if you will. So that's the downside. Um, I, I do like – I mean, I don't mind whether other people are in the chapel by any means, but it, the – when you're there by yourself. And that's the advantage. Sometimes I'll sub for a friend of mine who has a 2 a.m. Thursday mornings. Right. And um, I love that time because it, there, there's it's no distraction. It's just you and Jesus. It's yeah. wonderful. It yeah, really, it really is. is. So there's really some, while it's, um, you know, when you might be uh, happy to be snug in your bed, you're actually happier when you're there and spending time with Jesus in front of the Blessed Sacrament and, and, and um, being there in the quiet of the early morning. So, well, during the winter, nighttime adorers leave a warm bed. It would just, I guess right. what we're talking about, to come out of the cold to adore. How is this sacrifice being in the likeness of Jesus? Well, and I got some hints from Danetta about this. First of all, Jesus was born in a stable, and it was at night. And even though the Middle East is usually pretty hot, at night it's a desert, and it gets cold in the desert at night. So Jesus was uh, his warm bed was not all that warm. The other thing is uh, think about his agony in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and that was at night too. And he was going through this mental anguish and this physical anguish as well about father if possible let this cup pass from me. So yes, he, they had had a big meal and a lot of wine. So all of them, well, obviously his disciples were nodding off and going to sleep. So Jesus would have probably enjoyed being in a warm bed rather than going through all this anguish and agony of trying to discern what uh, his father's will was. So those two things, you could kind of relate that and offer that up to our Lord in his anguish in the garden or as a baby being born in a cold stable. Although knowing what the inns were like or reading about the inns in those days, you know, I think the stable was probably a pretty nice place to be born. Even though it was showed poverty and humility and everything else, the animals welcomed him. And that's what I usually tell the kids, too. I said, when you go this Christmas, you go around, you'll go to Grandma's, go see the nativity scene. Make Mom and Dad take you to see that. Every one of them's a little bit different, and every one of them is special in a special way. Mm. And I said, you know, next to Mary and Joseph, the animals were the ones who welcomed Jesus first. So now it doesn't say that there were any animals present. It says that where the in a manger where the ox would eat. But we always have an ox present to represent the clean animals. And we have the donkey present to represent the unclean animals. All of nature welcomed Jesus. Unfortunately, a lot of the people didn't, but all of nature did. Yeah, is that coming from the veterinarian perspective? I'm afraid so. I'm sorry. (laughs) We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio, whether you're listening via radio, computer, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo. Please know, we'll be right back with more about the joys, fruits, and benefits of nighttime adoration with Father Richard Days.
We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. With Father Richard Days. The joys, fruits, and benefits of nighttime adoration. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Our guest, Father Richard Days, and we are talking about perpetual Eucharistic adoration. And uh, this is a question I'm sure people are very interested in, is how does Jesus communicate to us during Eucharistic adoration? Well, like I said, we got to let God get, or Jesus get a word in edgewise, because most of the time we're praying. And sometimes... A phrase in a prayer that you're reading, say you're reading one of the Psalms, jumps out at you. And in Lexa Divina, we're supposed to kind of just pause and kind of go with that. And that's maybe one way that Jesus is talking to us is uh, one phrase jumps out at us and kind of grabs us. The other thing is, like we were discussing earlier, if you're just sitting there and meditating and uh, speak, Lord, your servant is listening or something like that, a little mental, uh, and then just sit quietly. And a lot of times the good Lord will speak to you. Sometimes almost out loud he will speak to you. Um, but often it's just a very subtle little suggestion. Um, Donetta was telling us over the lunch hour how she came up with the uh, title for the radio, Divine Mercy, because she wanted something else. And all of a sudden she was in Perpetual Adoration Chapel, and they said, the name will be Divine Mercy. And she said it was almost like a voice spoke and said, that's mm. what it's going to be. So that's what it was. Mm. Um, so basically, a lot of times the good Lord speaks to us very subtly. But if we give him a chance to get a word in edgewise, so I tell the kids, all prayers are answered. Sometimes the answer is no, but all prayers are answered. And so if we're asking a question, we need to let the let our Lord speak to us and give us an answer and sometimes if we're just wanting to have a conversation we have to let jesus get a word in too so uh, we talk about this and just uh, having a good solid prayer life and probably one of the toughest things for us to do is just shut up and listen uh, the silence <laughs> embracing the silence yes yeah but the solitude of the Adoration Chapel is, and, and, and one of the books that I'm reading right now for for prayer is from um, um, Henry Nouwen, and and he talks about the Desert Fathers talking about Saint Anthony of Egypt mm -hmm. and the importance of the solitude, and just to kind of break away and and have the solitude, but then the silence as well. It's all part of it, and we are sometimes afraid of the 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 quiet for some crazy reason because our, we are living in a loud world. And a lot of times people get scared when they don't hear anything. It's almost like we had uh, three firemen that were at uh, Ground Zero on uh, September 11, two, uh, 2001, came out with the 9-11 memorial. And they stopped in all places of Oakley, Kansas. So we took our fourth and fifth graders down to go through the, the memorial. And they were almost overwhelmed with the wide open spaces we have in western Kansas because to them, you know, they're used to being living in New York mm -hmm. City. Mm -hmm. And these wide open spaces are almost terrifying to them. And they commented on it that they were really amazed at how their reaction was when they got out to wide open space. And it's the same way with us. If we have turn off the radio, we turn off the TV, and all of a sudden it's silence. That's a beautiful thing, but 
you know, we're not used to it, and it can be a little bit frightening at times. And, and that's one of the beauties of the uh, Adoration Chapel. It is usually fairly quiet there. I knew of one couple that he proposed to his uh, wife in the Adoration Chapel so she couldn't say anything. And he just handed her the ring and she wanted to just burst out, but didn't because people were in adoration and prayer. I think I know you're talking about, and they shared that story with us on the air. If you're if you're talking yeah. about uh, George yeah, and George, Alan. yeah, and I love the story. And George, George had just that unique sense of humor. Oh yeah, and I, I loved it. But just that kind of quirky smiling get on his face when he was telling that story in here. And I thought it was just such a beautiful story. It and, was. And I know that there's a number of other people. I think uh, I think Gentry Heimerman, who is now in the Dodge City Diocese, but was a student at Four Days. And I want to say, I thought that they had. Uh, he had proposed an adoration or maybe shortly after adoration, but they had gone to the adoration chapel nonetheless. And so we hear that. And those are the beautiful stories oh, we hear about, um, you know, really keeping God at the center of everything. And so that and, and the other, obviously, the one that we hear all the time is just where vocations come from for the priesthood and religious life and how how much Eucharistic adoration plays a role in that. It's amazing when you do have Eucharistic adoration, whether it's a perpetual adoration or just like most of the parishes have on one day or, or for a set period of time. A lot of people come back to the church because of the prayers that are going on there. And also you do have an increase in vocations, not only to the priesthood, but also to the religious life. One of the Augustines, uh, Luther Augustine's daughter, just made her uh, final vows to the uh, into one of the orders of sisters in Wichita this last weekend. Um, I would love to have been able to go to that, but there's something about you have to be in Colby for Mass, so I didn't get to go. <laughs> but uh, all of that plays a role in, and I'm sure the adoration that's going on in Colby, which was her home parish, played a role in her de uh, mm. uh, discernment to go to make the religious life her career. Was that the uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary sisters? Yes, it was. Oh, really? Okay. Because yes. we have a friend, we have a friend whose, whose daughter is, is there. She was a Fort Hayes State student. In fact, we interviewed her on the air a few years ago, just a great young lady. Oh, yeah. And now, uh, ironically, her brother is discerning possibly the priesthood. the priesthood he's wonderful he's, yeah with he's he's actually going he's he's doing a program first but then is is um discerning with uh, father benedict rochelle's group up okay. in new york so um a great family um and so that's a that's a great story so somebody else from from that uh, i i don't know her but you said she's from colby yes is that right wow awesome. sister um Middle name is Monica, but I can't remember what her first name is now. This is embarrassing, but uh, <laughs> yeah. the sister Monica Augustine was the is she made her final vows, which yeah. I thought was fantastic. Wow, and that it's interesting. The one thing I do know that's interesting is the orders that are um, that still wear the habits. Mm -hmm. um, those are the orders that are really kind of growing by leaps and bounds, where some of the others are not. They're not seeing that kind right. of growth. So and a lot of it, well. Where the pendulum keeps shifting, and in the 60s, we threw everything, including the baby, out with the bathwater, and now it's shifting back to mm -hmm. where we're going to keep the baby, the bathwater, and the bathtub. So it's, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a really a good thing. Um, I think that we did lose a little bit of something, and perhaps that would have, in part of this, may be part of our uh, redemption of the church in our current um, scandal situation is the call back to the to the religious life and to the religious orders and showing 
that we are actually religious. So. Absolutely. Dot com. They have a question here for Father Richard. Uh, if you're in adoration for an hour, how much of the hour should you spend on your knees? Now, that obviously can depend. You just had knee surgery. so uh, I don't spend any time on my <laughs> knee right now. But um, when I did, I would uh, usually go through my prayers on my knees. And then a lot of times I would just sit and, and meditate or let Jesus speak to me. Um, and like if you're an older person, and I'm fast approaching that, but and and whether you've had surgery or not, a lot of times you know you may say an opening prayer, and then you can sit down because uh, let's face it, the knees aren't what they used to be, and um, you're spending a visit with Jesus. You're not sp- it's supposed to be in agony. You're supposed to be enjoying your visit, or at least that's my perspective on mm. it. Yes, there are times when the church calls us to offer up uh, some suffering uh, for the redemption of the souls in the purgatory as well as our own soul. But adoration can be used for that, but it's also an opportunity to visit with Jesus. And I don't think Jesus would want you to be hurting all the time you're visiting with him. So it kind of depends on your situation. Like I said, when I used to do it uh, uh, before, I would spend uh, probably 15 or 20 minutes uh, praying. Uh, on my knees, and then I would uh, take a pause and I would sit back. And usually I would uh, close with a prayer on my knees as well. It's kind of up to you what you feel comfortable with and what prayers you want to offer. Or if you just want to sit and meditate, that's fine too. So this is a, well. We talked a little about this earlier. What if somebody uh, dozes off during their adoration hour? You kind of touched on this a little. Well, I than said uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen uh, confessed that he had uh, slept. He needed. He was jet lagged, and he put in his hour of adoration, and he slept. And he uh, right at the time his hour was up, he woke up, and he said, "I think." God wanted me to have a good nap in order to continue on. Like I said, that one night that no one relieved me and I was there for uh, four hours, the last hour was just praying to stay awake. But um, (laughs) if you do doze off, offer that up as well. This may be the opportunity that Jesus is going to take to speak to you. I mean, when God sent messages to St. Joseph, St. Joseph was sleeping and the angel appeared in his dream. So... This may be what uh, Jesus has in mind for you. So don't fight it. But on the other hand, don't go in there to just take a nap either. <laughs> that was my, that's where <laughs> I was going too. I'm thinking, okay, dude, because uh, there have been times, and even over the noon hour for me where I'm kind of, um, you know, drifting off a little bit, but a lot of times I close, I close my eyes, but then that turns into almost wanting to go to sleep too. So Father, what are some of the fruits of being a nighttime adorer yeah, in adoration? Well, you have a little peace and quiet that you can kind of get away from, like we were talking about, the noise of our, our hectic world that we're living in today. And it's a chance to just sit down with uh, God and have a good heart-to-heart talk. Or the other thing is it's an opportunity. Now, when I'm driving, I usually say my rosary, and it works out quite well. But on other days, you get started, and everything seems like it's happening all at once. But you can take an hour in the middle of the night and get your rosary prayed or get any of the other prayers that you want us to pray done without being disturbed. And it also offers, a, like we said, an opportunity where God can talk to you. And it, it's a lot of peace and quiet. When you first start, it seems like an hour in the middle of the night is going to last forever. 
and it uh, will take all of your concentration. But as you get into this and uh, go uh, week after week or month after month, it almost becomes something you look forward to. There's definitely no doubt about that. I do know that, in, in fact, kind of a follow-up question to that. I've done a couple of them. I've done a 2 a.m., a 4 a.m., just to doing some subbing for people I know. And when that alarm goes off at, like, 1.15 to do the 2 o'clock, it's like, okay. It's almost like I want to I say, Lord, take this cup from me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but... <laughs> It's one of those things you, you do. It's kind of that's there's a struggle there, and you go, okay, I gotta gotta do this. And it's not that I'm not looking forward to it, but it's just the idea of just kind of waking up and gathering your thoughts and your. You it, know. There is a sacrifice involved with it, and a lot of it, the sacrifice is less as you get, go get into it later on. But uh, initially, yes, there is quite a sacrifice to get out of bed in the middle of winter, to drive to the chapel. Knowing nobody else around there might be one other person there, and you're going to spend your time in the middle of the night praying. Now, in our society, that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but our society has turned is crazy. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> you know, this is something we're doing for us and for God. So, well, and that's the one thing that every time, I mean, without a doubt, it's it is there's a bit of a struggle as we wake up and just try to get gather our thoughts and get and get dressed to go into the chapel. And but it's like once you're there and, and then once you're you're ending your hour, it's like this is the best thing I could have done. Very much. so. Um, yes. You know, I could be sleeping right now or I could be doing this. And really, frankly, this is much better than sleeping. So it's uh, it is. I, I'm sure a lot of people would just really scratch their head at that and, and think uh, to your point that we're crazy. But we're talking about Eucharistic uh, adoration and the fruits and struggles and the joys of nighttime prayer and perpetual Eucharistic adoration. People have uh, that nighttime hour, and of course, they, as we talked about, the hour kind of begins as a sacrifice, but soon becomes something that, that we look forward to. How has this struggle changed into joy, would you say? I think through repetition, probably primarily, but also the fact that you, all of a sudden you begin to reap some rewards that you hadn't even anticipated. And not only, and some of them you may not even be aware of initially, but looking back, you can see how this had happened. Maybe my uh, time in uh, nocturnal adoration in Alaska or my time with the adoration at uh, Fort Leavenworth, the two times I were there, and the adoration that I've done other places. Maybe that was the early discernment to go to the priesthood. I don't know. But it's a very possibility that that... Very subtly, Jesus was saying, I think I need you on my team, and I think you need to join my team. Um, we don't know. But looking back, you can see some very good benefits that come from it. One of, yeah, and there's, there's, uh, I don't think there's ever a time I've gone to adoration where I haven't gotten something out of it. Uh, sometimes more than others, there are times where it feels like it's just, it's been uh, just an amazing hour in the chapel. Right. And then there's other times where it's, it's always good, but there's sometimes where it's uh, better than others, I guess you could yes. say. And Father, we still have a few minutes. Any final thoughts you might have or anything else you want to share? Well, if you've never done adoration, I would suggest maybe you might offer one hour a week 
give it a try. You might be really surprised at uh, at the response that you get or how you, you respond to the actual adoration. So if you're in the Hayes area, there is a perpetual adoration chapel here at Immaculate Heart. But practically all of the parishes around here do a uh, adoration, uh, usually on a Thursday. So you might, if you're in Ellis, go to uh, St. Mary's. And if you're in... Um, Victoria, St. Fidelis, uh, just check it out uh, because most all of them do have adoration. So that might be a good way to prepare for our Lord's coming and, and your preparation for Advent as well. And I, yeah, and I believe we were we were in Victoria last night for the third night of the parish mission. And um, I think they did. We talked about that and they do have it on Thursdays. I want to say at 10 a.m. So okay. and, and what time is it in Ellis? In Ellis. So usually I haven't been in Ellis for three years, but uh, we used to have a mass at 810 every day. And right after that mass would expose the Blessed Sacrament until 6 p.m. Oh, so it's a, a longer. Hour. Yes. And, and I, uh, I, out in Colby, we uh, have mass at 7 a.m. and we go to 8 p.m. So you have practically uh, tw- almost 12 wow. hours to okay. have your adoration. And I think at Victoria's just uh, they do have a holy hour but that's about it so i I don't think it is exposed that long but certainly the opportunities are there and you can find them if you inquire and uh, to find out more about uh, adoration or uh, holy hours that are available in in your parish or nearby parishes uh, around the diocese so well we appreciate you coming in and and sharing some time with us thanks for tuning in to this week's double-edged sword cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture let us know what you thought of this show by going to dvmercy.com and click on the double-edged sword icon the comment button is in the middle of the page and folks eternity is not seen but neither are these airwaves but if you can support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, Harden not your hearts.